Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. Live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching uh, on the website, please leave us that Google review. And if you're watching via social media, get involved in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. Anything you want us to discuss on the show, then get in touch via email. That's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you don't have time to watch the whole show live every week, then you can get us on the move with a podcast from any of those podcast platforms on the other side of the screen. And that's available every Monday from 10 a.m. So let's say hi to our property expert, Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. <laughs> good morning, Paul. Good morning to our listeners and good morning to our viewers, where they are. And uh, it is Sunday morning, of course, and I can fully understand the little stutters and the, and the little mistakes, but it just tells you how live we are when we do come on. And of course, it's Diwali, so happy Diwali to all that are celebrating. Um, and of course, it's Remembrance Days, and it's a, a day to remember all those that served us well to live us with the lives that we lead today. Um, and um, so, yeah, um, uh, a very, very auspicious day in different ways. Indeed. And moving on to matters of property, uh, it's been a busy week with uh, no less than King Charles getting involved in property this week. Of course, he went to give the King's speech, his first one, or the first King's speech for 70 years. And he announced two big things, which aren't really a surprise to people who are close followers of our show, because we've been talking about them for some time. Firstly, the reform of leasehold and, of course, the dreaded rental reform bill. So let's just unpack it a little bit. Um, uh, the, the, the King's speech, of course, uh, heralded the uh, start of the re leasehold reform bill. And it's interesting that this week they've just announced uh, the um, consultation process for this. So the leasehold reform, reform bill says the King aims to uh, empower leaseholders to make it cheaper and easier for existing leaseholders in houses and flats to extend their lease or buy their freehold. The bill will also up the standard lease extension from uh, 90 years to 990 years for both, both houses and flats and ground rents lowered to nothing. Government said that this would ensure leaseholders can enjoy secure ground rent free ownership of their properties for years to come without the hassle and expense of future lease extensions. The bill also says it will remove the requirement for a new leaseholder to have owned a house or flat for two years so they can benefit from the changes and increase the non residential limit where leaseholders can buy their freehold for 50 or 250%. So, um, do you want to just unpack that for us a little bit there, Joe? Yes, so um, historically, uh, this, uh, fundamentally, I'm not really um, sure why such precedence was given in a King's speech after 70 years for something that has been rambling on for a while. Um, so um, the, the reality is that um, people that bought flats and perhaps historically some houses on estates that may have uh, been held uh, as a freehold within a company uh, that built them a long, long time ago. So originally, just to rewind, why they actually used to make it leaseholds as opposed to always a freehold, it was about um, crystallization to some extent. Um, if somebody had bought land and built a block of flats on it, um, they always, the, the problem was always that not anyone particularly owned the freehold. So therefore a separate title was created uh, to own the freehold and then of course the leaseholds were created so that everybody could have 
uh, their own lease of their flats or their houses, and in some cases on estates, they were built on uh, developments of perhaps a factory or, or, a, or a foundry, and they were, were created for workers. And on farms, they were also created for, for workers. So they were property of freehold uh, on a farm, and then the workers would have a lease on the property that they were in as workers' cottages so that they didn't have complete ownership. So that's why the original sort of freehold, leasehold kind of thing started um, back in 100 plus years ago. Um, now it has come to a point where um, when leases become shorter um, as time goes on, the person that has the freehold has the right to charge the encumbered leasehold owner a colossal amount of money in some cases, certainly in places like London, it could be absolutely like millions and millions and millions of pounds, hundreds of thousands of pounds, and in perhaps other places it could be as 30, 40, 50,000 pounds for them to then renew the lease. So they you know, could buy a property, have a 99 year lease on the property, and that 99 years now dropped to say 65 years and the lenders that lend money on them now won't want to lend money on them because they don't feel it's safe as a, as a long-term lease for them to have their security on. So someone somewhere has to extend that and to extend it, the freeholder says, well, it's my privilege to extend it and for that privilege, you've got to pay me. And, and that's one of the reforms that's taking place at this moment in time. What they're saying now is that anyone that is living in a flat that has um, has pays ground rent to show that it, there is a rent payable on paper to the freeholder um, won't have to continue to do that they can buy the freehold directly or from the outset given a 990 plus year lease with no ground rent so in other words they almost have the ownership virtual freehold by having a 990 year lease on it and those that have had shorter leases have the right to buy the freehold aspect collectively, perhaps. Certainly, if there was like three or four in a block or, or there's 20 in a block, they might collectively buy the freehold or they have the right to buy the freehold first before the freeholder could sell it out to somebody else. So they have the first right to do that. So leaseholders there will probably collectively purchase the freehold so that they are actually now administering the future of their own life. So in other words, if the lease then falls to 60 years in during their, their tenure, their time in, in that place, they could grant themselves a new lease without having to spend extra money. So that's how, that's where the leasehold and freehold aspect changes. What the reform is, is saying is that it's now going to give the right was uh, um, previously there are two ownerships. There is a freeholder and there is a leaseholder and the freeholder fundamentally holds ransom to the leaseholder to pay them more money to extend the lease. Uh, this says the bill will improve leaseholder consumer rights, such as making, buying or selling a leasehold property quicker and easier, more transparency over leaseholder service charges, replacing buildings insurance commissions with clearer admin fees, extending redress schemes for leaseholders, scrapping the presumption for leaseholders to have to pay the freeholders legal costs and grant freehold owners, homeowners on private and mixed tenure estates the same redress rights as leaseholders. It will also ban, uh, aim to ban the creation of new 
leasehold homes and consult on capping existing ground rents. However, it's unclear at this point whether this applies to flats as well. So that's what's in there. What's interesting, isn't it, Joe, is the fact that they were talking about this four years ago and now it's being dressed up as a new idea. But we've reported on this several years ago and, it, you know, everybody says, well, hang on a minute, they were talking about this four years ago. Well, this is what I said. I, I really couldn't understand why it is um, made such a high level for a, a King's speech, a first King's speech in 70 years to something that is, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's great value. You could have probably said something much nicer about lots of other things that are happening in the, in, in the country. But nevertheless, it is what it is. Um, and uh, yes, it, it has been ongoing and I don't see it actually taking shape much quicker. Um, there are many other things within this um, so-called government plan leasehold reform, along with other reforms that they want to bring in um, as part of the Section 21 and, and so forth. So they're all they're bundling them all up into this particular reform, um, trying to make things easier for uh, tenants more than landlords. Um, and that's going to be a completely separate story, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about later on, because you know, at this moment in time, I don't think there's going to be many landlords that are wishing to become freeholders and they, they will gladly let the tenants have whatever they want because there's not going to be many of them around based on what's going on at the moment. Well, the thing that uh, um, they're saying is that the previous statements that have come out about the leasehold reform that the government themselves have made actually have more sweeping powers in them. For example, they were talking about uh, uh, marriage um, uh, rights, I think it's called, isn't it? Um, this is something marriage that... Value. Is, marriage value, that's it, thank you, which is beyond my understanding, other than to say that marriage value basically is the additional cost um, or ad additional value added to a lease once it's been extended. So there was a suggestion that they were going to reform that, and that's been strangely absent from the King's speech, for an example. And that can amount to quite a lot of money that the uh, that the, the land that the leaseholder has to pay to to the freeholder. And to come on to that point as well, at the end of the day, it seems that the freeholder is having to give up a hell of a lot of their business, if you want to call it that, because I know for some it is a business, um, uh, or at least a lot of the value that they currently hold, they're going to have to concede that to the leaseholder. And I can't see them doing that without a fight. And I think, as some people have actually mentioned in the professional side of, of property this week, that it's going to be a very robust set of uh, conversations when the uh, consultation process is underway that freeholders are going to fight their corner because they're not going to give this up easily are they and why should they give it up really because poor the you know people have been investing in in the um, ownership of freehold for not you know 10 15 years it's been there for hundreds of years it's been you know part of a portfolio from their family it's, it's hereditary it's an investment that they've been working with forever and a day and in some parts of the, the country especially when you take london it's very very expensive and of course you know they are uh, going to lose millions uh, millions and millions of pounds from properties that perhaps now fall under like 30, 40, 20 years. Some people have never bothered to renew them and they've come to an end of life or it's become a probate sale and the person that was in that property has passed away. And that's probably when the freeholder is run, rubbing their hand in glee by saying, well, now this is the time when I'm gonna collect. So they wait, it's like an insurance policy, it's waiting to be matured really. And they're now maturing 
And and so the government are now coming in, sort of saying, well, actually, you can't have that. Well, that you know, the government have been interfering. Consecutive governments been interfering with lots and lots of things that belong to people and not to them. And I I agree with you, and I agree with the the reform bill in the sense that there will be a fight put up by freeholders. Yeah, they were saying that. Um, oh, just to confirm on that uh, marriage value, by the way, there is no mention of the expected abolition of marriage value for those leaseholders with under eighty years remaining on their lease, or the prescription of rates to be used in the valuation. As I say, something a little bit above my head, but uh, that's just something that was in the original documentation, and and, and others are, are observing that this is really just a tweak really to already existing uh, le legislation um, that people have at the moment because um, you know the proposals to increase the standard lease extension from 90 to 990 years and removal of the two-year ownership rule were anticipated um no oh shit oh, i've done that wrong sorry oh, for fuck's sake <laughs> um uh yeah so uh, yeah i'll come back to so if i come back to where i i pick up from you um yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, so just to confirm, Joe, there was no mention of the expected abolition of marriage value for those leaseholders with under 80 years remaining on their lease or prescription of rates to be used in the valuation. Like I say, something above my head, but just making the point that that was already the detail that was already in the in the notifications given by the government of what they were going to change. But that's now, strangely, not in the proposals. And it's interesting, actually, that these seem to be like a tweak to long-standing legislation, which already enables owners of leaseholds, um, uh, leasehold houses, to buy their freehold rights, uh, and flat owners to have the right to extend their lease and automatically reduce their ground rent to a peppercorn as a part of the process. So that already is something that you can do, which we know about. So it it does rather seem like window dressing, doesn't it? Well, like I said from the outset, I'm not particularly sure why it's, it's, it's made such a headline because it's it's really quite a bit of a mess and uh, I can't imagine any freeholder and this marriage value situation again means that there is a burden on the leaseholder when, when, when they extend their lease to actually pay the freeholder and a potential uplift of the value of when it becomes a longer lease. Um, and so it's a win-win for the freeholders every, every way, and I can't imagine. So again, you're right, they're probably taking that out because people already made a fuss about it. So I can't imagine that this is going to go very far very quickly uh, at this moment in time. But of course, you know, there are some good things about it um, uh, that people should consider. I think definitely going forward as new concept, um, people should have a longer lease and not have these ground rents because they are constantly with service charges. But I cannot imagine that any historical stuff is actually going to go away in a heartbeat. Mm. It is surprising the lack of detail in in the documentation uh, in the King's speech and uh, and even the briefing notes around them. There's very little there, and I suppose it will come down to uh, uh, the consultation process. And the other part, of course, which we have to discuss is the one we know quite a bit about: the Renters' Reform Bill, which aims to support the 11 million private rent renters or tenants and 2.3 million landlords in England. This includes a manifesto commitment to abolish no-fault evictions, end blanket bans on pets and create a new private rented sector ombudsman. 
Other measures include strengthening landlord grounds for possession, such as adding new mandatory grounds for possession and stronger powers to evict antisocial tenants. The bill also aims to create a digital private rented property portal to bring together key information for landlords, tenants and councils. It will make it illegal to have blanket bans on renting to tenants in receipt of benefits or with children, a clampdown on criminal landlords and protect the student rental market. The bill will also speed up the court's process so landlords can regain possession of their property if a tenant refuses to move out and scrap proposals requiring landlords to meet the EPCC threshold from 2025. So again, a lot to unpack there, much of which we have already talked about uh, um, uh, and they, they too seem so determined to get this one through before uh, the next election. I can see that potentially happening, the renters' reform bill, but I really can't see the leasehold reform bill being uh, on the statutes before the next election. But, uh, I mean, we've, we've made our views cl clear and plain about the renters' reform bill for a while. Um, the devil is in the detail, I suppose, how they're going to uh, speed up the court's process. It's in absolute tatters at the moment, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the delay is, is huge. Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, a lot of landlords have been pushing for vacant possessions and, and, and pushing for evictions, knowing full well that this renters' reform is going to be an absolute abolition of the whole thing. I mean, it's just not the way they want to be. And, the, and, and a lot of uh, landlords under those circumstances are happy not, now not to be landlords. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not really quite sure what think tank they put together uh, in order to try and bring such things to the forefront. But I don't certainly think that they've actually brought in the people that actually matter to, to discuss this. It's just about someone thinking, well, actually, you know, we've got to do all this for the tenants. Um, if it's that strong, then my view is very simple on that. The government should build lots of properties and, and actually provide those properties to the tenants and let them be the landlord. Um, and it will be interesting to see how they actually fare in that given time. I mean, considering they can't even you know, deal with a floating boat um, uh, for, for asylum seekers, I'm really not sure how they can actually deal with um, blocks of flats and, and lots of tenants in them. And so therefore, they, they pass the buck on to people that look to invest, and then they actually turn around and make it difficult for them to actually deal with. So uh, yeah, let's watch this space. But uh, it's not something that's going to be exciting, I can, I can assure you. And just one last thing on the leasehold. Um, somebody, a property professional, said this week, given the focus on reforms to leasehold in the lead-up to the King's speech, the lack of detail we have seen today regarding the plans is surprising. This comes in the wake of recent proposals to ban leasehold houses, which are not new at all. These commitments were announced four years ago by the government, now simply being repackaged as new plans. These proposals are based on an underlying presumption, underlying presumption that a radical overhaul of the system is required, which is an oversimplification of a very complex issue. A proper analysis of the criticisms of the existing leasehold system uh, should first be undertaken, and if it's found that changes are required, further regulation of the leasehold system could be implemented. Having said that, leasehold is already one of the most highly regulated areas of the law, with many and varied protections for leaseholders. And there are plans afoot to give similar protections to freeholders in relation to estate management charges. This begs the question as to whether common hold provides a solution for the perceived problems. So it's already very well regulated sector. Um, and do you think they're oversimplifying what is a very complex subject? No, I don't think they're actually um, simplifying anything that is what 
the point, Paul, is that basically it wasn't that complicated in the first place. I believe that there are some areas that maybe need tweaking. Um, it's, a, it's the old adage of why fix something that's not broke, but they seem to be, um, you know, choosing this um, with, with the properties and landlords and tenants um, because they think that that's, you know, an easy push, an easy, easy way to sort of say to people, we're doing something for you. And reality wise, they're not doing a great deal. They're not doing good things for landlords and landlords are uh, walking away from such ideas and especially over the last 12 months 18 months landlords have been you know leaving in droves because of all these um what i i call ridiculous changes brought by perhaps people that have actually no knowledge really and no commitment and actually no investment into the property market and just sit there and become pundits and and, and uh, advisors on something that they actually have no real personal um, involvement in. Let's move on. Uh, back onto bat buy to let landlords who are continuing to flee the market. No new news there from us. Uh, but this is interesting because uh, a new survey by uh, UHY Hacker Young has basically got some figures for us on just how big a problem if indeed it is, uh, for, 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 for landlords. The landlords continue to exit the private rented sector for the sale um, with the sale of another 151,000 buy-to-lets or holiday homes in the year to 5th of April 2023. Uh, a national accountancy group uh, pointed to the fact that buy-to-let properties have become markedly less profitable for many landlords, as we know, in recent years in the light of tax and legislative changes, as well as higher mortgage rates. Um, the increase in mortgage costs is not only the only issue for landlords, they have been hit hard by uh, from all sides with tax changes making it tougher to buy for uh, letting purposes for investors. Ultimately it's renters that will feel the pain from that as the number of properties available falls. Here's the big, here's the big issue figure. According to HMRC, 1.8 billion in capital gains tax was paid on sales of buy-to-let properties from uh, the 6th of April 22 to the 5th of April 23. 1.8 billion in capital gains. Uh, the government uh, laughing all the way to the bank, making it hard for landlords and then pocketing the profits. Yes, and then actually it's a short-term gain, isn't it, Paul, for, for the government? Yes, they, they are pocketing it and going laughing all the way to the bank. But equally, they have a huge backlog, a huge mega-sized backlog of asylum seekers and homeless people and families that they haven't got the accommodation themselves because they haven't built enough homes. They can never build enough homes in order to accommodate them. So they are doing a grand job of getting rid of landlords who actually have been supplying uh, private rental uh, property to the government um, uh, by by doing such ridiculous things just for a short-term gain um, of okay 1.8 billion they could probably earn a lot more if they you know but they are they they've uh, apart from the the, uh, the capital gains tax the income tax the and and the other taxes that they are now adding on for buy to lets are actually getting people to leave in droves. And the reason why majority of those that are leaving in droves are not just about what the government's doing, it's also what the Bank of England has done in the last you know, year, six months or whatever it is, um, constant increases of, of rent. And so people have had to decide. Most, most landlords are not making enough money from just the tenancy to cover their mortgages. So they've got to make a decision uh, to get out. Um, and there's, when you look at 
our previous part about the renters reform and the section 21 this is one of the other reasons they want to desperately get out now because they don't want to be locked into this renters reform bill and and be stuck in there with the tenant that it may be a tenant from hell who is not paying enough money and the landlord is actually paying more on mortgages to be able to accommodate someone so it becomes a charitable status rather than a profitable status um, from from a landlord's point of view so you know it's a it's a lot of stuff going on there and it's all on a knife's edge at the moment they say that uh, the number of buy-to-let properties that have been sold uh, has increased since the pandemic significantly. So 98,000 were sold in 2021, 153,000 in 21-22. So you can see the increase. And more than a third of buy-to-let landlords plan to sell a property in the next 12 months, according to new research from Landbay. Um, although one in 10 of them will sell all of their property, uh, with the main reason being that property investment is no longer financially viable. Um, a survey by Lambay found that 34% of landlords are thinking of selling, but only one in 10 will sell all of their properties. However, 90% of buy-to-less investors looking uh, to sell said they only want to sell some of their properties, with 15% of those are also intending to buy as they restructure their portfolios, which is an interesting point. And I guess, again, this thing about the uh, EPCC, you know, we were thinking, well, they must be thinking, you know, now that the red, they don't have to comply by 2025, but having said that, they could also look at the other side of the coin there, whereby at least they've got their property, you know, cheaper to run, uh, better insulated, better quality. And of course, that's going to attract a better quality tenant and a higher rent. Yes. I mean, the thing is, we are going to have a bit of an evolution here, aren't they? Some of the old stock is going to be sold. Some of the stuff that is probably got higher loans on it are going to be, uh, be sold. And, and, the, and some of the properties that need updating will be sold because landlords don't want to invest that into it. But some of those people that will sell that stock will come back in um, to what is going to be the new norm at five and a quarter percent, perhaps maybe five and a half percent base, a uh, higher um, borrowing uh, level, uh, seven, seven and a half percent on a buy to let uh, mortgage, perhaps. And then they'll say, OK, well, now these are the new rents. I mean, the rents are going up, you know, um, very very quickly um people know that but that's also about supply and demand the demand of for rental properties is huge supply is becoming shorter and shorter because people are as you can see you know selling left right and center and and want to get out of it because it's just not cost effective for them yeah you're right the report says on the positive side two-thirds of landlords therefore are not intending to sell and 30 percent of those who are looking are actually looking to buy property the market is changing and landlords are seeing opportunities to restructure and rethink their strategy so absolutely spot on but um, nonetheless quite surprising to see 151,000 i think it was properties sold in the year to april the 6th 2023 final story this week for us then joe fear of rejection preventing self-employed workers applying for mortgage more than a third of self-employed individuals have never applied for a mortgage because of the assumption they will be rejected due to their employment status this is new research from tml uh, some 30% of those surveys said they had never applied for a mortgage because they did not think that they would be approved. In addition to this, just over a quarter, 26%, said they heard it's more challenging for self-employed people to get a mortgage. It's pretty tough for anyone to get a mortgage right now, so you can understand if you're self-employed and you've probably got a new company that's only been going maybe a year, two years, you could be reticent, couldn't you? Yes, I mean, this is it's just historical, to be honest with you, when since the abolition of um, uh, self-cert, 
prior to 2007, uh, which is probably the last time um, anyone was able to um, get a mortgage by simply self-certifications and saying that they confirmed that they earned X, Y, Z uh, in order to get a mortgage, put a reasonable deposit down and do it. The money market at the moment for just ordinary folk is, is challenging. Um, for people that are in business or are self-employed, it's pretty much a impossible task. Um, now, there was a time when certain things were not able to be checked, but now everything gets cross-checked and you've got to be able to justify that you earned enough to be able to get a mortgage at the levels four, five, six, maybe seven times the incomes that you need and have sufficient deposit. So hence, more people are, are renting and that renting market is, is so strong, but the supply of good quality rentals is not as one wants it. Can you imagine you're a developer or a builder and you've got a truck outside and, and you've got goods in there and you've got materials and, and you're living in a flat because you can't actually go and buy yourself a house or you can't rent one because it's just too expensive. In some cases, mortgages work out uh, relatively cheaper on a monthly basis, even though you've got other outgoings. Um, to be able to have a property, a house that might be, you know, um, five, six hundred pounds a month cheaper by comparison to rent against mortgage, um, but actually have the space. So it's a, it's a real tough thing for um, business owners and for self-employed people. And <clears throat> I think the other thing is that when you're self-employed, you know, you're, whilst it's a great thing, and of course we, we, I'm self-employed, you're self-employed, we are all in that, in that situation. If you do the things right, it can be right, but ultimately it's a challenge and a half to go to any lender and to get them to convince, and be convinced to lend you money on the basis of buying a property, even though you might have up to 20, maybe 15, 20, 25% deposit. You might have inherited it. You know, you might have, you might have got that money from, through, through inheritance as a deposit, but because you're self-employed, you still can't go out there and, and um, you know, borrow the money to buy the, the, the ideal home for you and your family. 36% said that they hadn't had the chance to build up the deposit because they were busy putting the money in to build the business up to get a bit enough income to actually get the mortgage in the first place. So you can see the challenge that's facing them. 17% said that they were waiting for interest rates to come down and 10% said they just found the whole thing just too daunting in the first place. But there is an interesting point there. You know, if you're going to get your business off the ground, you're going to have to invest in it. And that might well have been money that you would have used for a deposit. That's right, it's a vicious circle. So it's a question of having what's on the on the table, with the food on the table and 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 you know, looking after the family and living in a rented accommodation and actually making sure that your business has got the investment uh, that it needs in order to continue to do what you're doing best. Or you take that money into a deposit and you try and get a mortgage um, and so forth. So it's a real, really difficult bridge to sort of cross. Um, but lenders are not, you know, they're not, they're not good people. They're not happy. They are probably out of a hundred lenders, probably someone like, um, you know, um, Bob will probably tell you that there might be one or two potentially that will look at that, that kind of market. And if they look to that kind of market, because they're specific, they're definitely not going to be cheap. They'll be expensive. Um, so it's not, it's not a, an ideal position or an ideal situation to be. And of course, my heart goes out to those self-employed people that are just, you know, are, are the backbone, to be perfectly honest with you, the backbone of the country to go out there and do that and then yet be treated in such a way that as if like they're some sort of, 
you know, disease that they, they're not they're not good enough to be able to manage it. They, they can manage the business and manage the family, but they can't manage a mortgage. Um, we know how their calculations come, and the calculations are just not a fair way of dealing with that. Interestingly, 57% of self-employed people have applied for a mortgage and been successful, just 57%. 15% of those people were not successful at their first attempt. And they were not, uh, and a further 4% revealed they applied in the past and had not yet been successful. Uh, of those who'd been rejected for a mortgage previously, 38% said they were not approved due to volatile income. 28% said that the lender had applied, uh, they had applied through, had calculated they wouldn't be able to make the uh, repayments. And more than a quarter, 27% said they did not have the necessary documentation to prove their income. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Of course, volatile income is, uh, is, is a difficult one to square. But as you rightly pointed out a second ago, if you're smart enough to run a successful business, surely you should be smart enough to work out whether you can afford a mortgage. Yeah, but that's 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 the problem, Paul. They don't they don't treat, treat you fairly when you go out to borrow. In fact, some people don't even bother to go for the pure embarrassment of being told no. Um, and you know, and and of course, we know the old funny sort of thing about the computer says no. It is about that. The old days when you used to be able to go and talk to your bank manager who actually understood your bank, you know, how things are going, much much different. But today, it's an impossible task to do. Um, and uh, so more people tend to tend to rent, um, and and then won't won't go down the buying route. Um, but their ideal dream is to buy because they will probably know over the period they they actually save more money than actually having to rent um, and 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 spend money on the rental market. As you alluded to, Joe, of course, we are not mortgage advisors. We do know a very good one in Bob Singh and Chess Mortgages, and we suggest that you contact him if you'd like any information about mortgages uh, and applying for self-employed mortgages, of course, because Bob is definitely the man to talk to. And if you contact us through our socials, we'll be able to put you in touch with him. And on that note, I think we better leave it for there for this week, Joe. Uh, thank you very much indeed, as always, for your wisdom. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again for another Property Matters very soon. <laughs>